0: All of you, um, as Dr. Russ mentioned, we, I'm sure we've got people that are traveling and uh, still out of town uh, for Thanksgiving. Um, I would rather be here than on I-95 or I-64 or I-81 or I- whatever it is. Uh, uh, we drove down. And by the way, thank you for Pastor Trevor sharing the Word last Sunday. That was a blessing uh, to me for him sharing. We went down uh, to my in laws. They live in Florida. Uh, I have a lot of family all over Florida, but my in laws live an hour north of Orlando, and so we drove down there. It's a 12 hour drive. If this whole pasture thing doesn't work out, I can always be a trucker because I've gotten good. (laughs) I've gotten pretty good at it. But uh, um, we drove down on the Friday before Thanksgiving, and it's heavy traffic, uh, but it's not near as bad. It gets worse the next day, the next day, and by the following Wednesday, it's the Busiest travel day of the year, I think. So there's heavy, heavy traffic, and, and uh, we sat in a couple of big accidents. And one of we were definitely praying because, I mean, the, the car was obliterated by a semi truck. And, and so I always pray for safety for real. I mean, it's like uh, you know that um, you really need the Lord's covering, uh, well, just to go up the grocery store, but anywhere. Uh, but the more miles you put on. And, but I have learned, and this is just my free tip to all of you and those of you watching online the day after Thanksgiving is awesome to travel. Uh, There is hardly any, I mean comparatively, there's instead of like 10 million cars, there's like a million cars on the road. But but, uh, comparatively the Friday after Thanksgiving is, I have learned, is one of the best travel days you can possibly pick because everyone has already, wherever they're at, they want to be there through the weekend, get the maximum they can out of Friday, Saturday, and so today is a brutal day to be on the highway because like, everyone's got to get back in time for work and college and all this other stuff. So just my tip, Friday you can get, just eat as much as you can on Thursday and, and you're good. You don't even have to stop for food or anything because you're like so full. Did anyone add a pound or two or just uh, just me? So you know, I tried to pace myself this year and I think we did pretty good. But, uh, uh, but we had a blessed time. I hope you guys all did too. Good to see all of you. And if you're watching online, if you're traveling down the interstate and watching us, we're glad to have you join us here this morning. I also want to say, welcome back, Zach, from India. You've got back. Uh, that's a way further trip. So uh, he's still adjusting, waking up at all different hours. So if he falls asleep today, just give him grace, you know. So he doesn't come on full time until January. he's sleeping sleep all he wants in these services. So. Uh, uh, thanks to Keith and Roy, Keith Clopton, Doug Peretti, Roy Lowe. These stairs are brand new, so the old frayed (laughs) carpet stairs. If you missed staring at the frayed carpet and, uh, you know, we could have put shag rug on them. They look, (laughs) you know, something to improve them, but they, they've come a long way. They did this, uh, over the uh, past week and they look really good. We've got a few more finishing touch things, uh, uh, all the trim and the greenery that has to go around the modulars. Uh, we've been waiting for Lowe's to get the delivery in. Um, I I, uh, I asked Pastor Trevor last night. I said, you know, if I, you know, we actually had a delivery date, and it just didn't come at all. Like, did not show up. No one <laughs> called. Uh, no one told it. it was supposed to be in a pallet truck. Uh, we had to track them down. They're like, how is it that I have to be accountable for everything? But these stores these days. If they don't d- deliver it, they don't show it, they don't call it you know, but anyway, they were very gracious hey, it'll be here next week, and so hopefully it will. So we had to replace we had to replace, a, um, we had to replace a, a a dishwasher in our house that had, we got like 15 euros out of it, and we had a delivery date. I won 't so say which of the two big box stores it was, but there's only two, so it was one of the two <laughs> and uh, and we had the date, and like they said it'll be here next Wednesday, four weeks later <laughs> uh, we were back in the 50s, hand washing every dish and everything, you know. So, but four weeks later, it finally showed up. I'm like, where is it? Is it somewhere between mainland China and Los Angeles? I mean, is it somewhere in the Pacific or something like that? So, but that's the way it is. And you, so, plan ahead with your Christmas stuff. You know, you never know. You could get it in February uh, if you're ordering it right now. But uh, we've we're making progress. Uh, if you look in the uh, was was the library, it says Book Nook out there, but we've turned it into a multi-purpose. It'll be uh, a little bit of an office, a prayer room, a meeting room. Uh, you guys can use it for small meetings or small prayer groups. You'll see it in there. So go check it out. It looks remarkably different. And uh, Roy and um, several of the guys helped with that. And Ron and somebody helped paint the top of this, and we put the carpet back down. So lots of progress, and so thank you guys for all the work, and especially since some of you did it on your uh, Thanksgiving week, so we appreciate that. Um this Wednesday I'll be back in the book of um, Joel, so uh, we'll be in chapter 3, working our way through that study. We should finish it in early December, and then as I mentioned uh, in the new year, on Wednesdays we'll be getting into the book of Joshua. So that'll be starting in the new year, and we'll be in Joshua on Wednesdays, and the book of Acts as we'll be in today. For quite a while we'll stay in the book of Acts on Sunday, so Joel will finish up um, in Uh, The next couple of weeks, and so lastly, we want to continue to pray for revival. I hope on Thanksgiving Day, not just on Thanksgiving Day. I pray for revival constantly, but uh, you prayed for our country to turn back to the Lord. Uh, Many are just not that thankful for all the God. You know, we have a country that we complain about everything, and we God's been so gracious to us, hasn't He? You know, you know, just thinking about all the things the Lord has done for us as a nation. Uh, and yet uh, our response has primarily been to give God uh, the resistant hand of uh, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, we want what we want, which is our idols, which is our material possessions, uh, our own pleasures. And um, God is calling us to turn back to Him. So we've been praying for revival for a long time if you're visiting with us, We're glad to have you. We've been praying for revival for um, I would close to 15 years now. Uh, But ever since the pandemic, we started uh, getting on our knees. And uh, it's not always easy to do in the second service. Uh, It's a lot easier in the 830 service because there's more room to spread out. But if you're able to, if you would like to, we don't require it. Uh, Obviously, if you have bad knees or anything like that, that's fine. But it's something we've been doing. And um, and praise God that I've even had some visitors say, you know, that this really spoke to me, that you're a church that still gets on its knees. And so we've been um, doing this just to humble ourselves before the Lord And if you'd like to do that, I take about 30 seconds of silence and then we'll pray. I'm praying for the nation of Honduras as we pray for one country every week. As we pray for our own country, let's go before the Lord. Father, we again humble ourselves before you. You are holy and we are not. You are mighty and we are weak. You are perfect and uh, sinless and we are full of sin. Uh, Lord, even if we've been redeemed, we still see uh, the vestiges of our flesh. We still see, uh, Lord, the, the fight that is in us, Lord. Uh, that the, the old man wars against the new man. And so, Lord, even in this room... We just come before You humbly. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for Your salvation that we just sang of. And Lord, we ask that You'd wash us this morning, cleanse us this morning, renew in us a steadfast spirit. Lord, give us a hunger and thirst for Your righteousness, a zeal for the things of the Lord. Lord, we pray that You'd purify our hearts, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Lord, help us to lay aside... Anything, Lord, that would hinder us from running the race that you set before us, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would give us your heart and you'd give us, Lord, uh, just a holiness and a righteousness that only we just saw people in our lives that still need to come to Jesus. We pray, Lord, this would be the year, even before this year end. maybe some seeds were planted in Thanksgiving uh, gatherings, Lord, that you would bring our family members to the cross that don't know you, our friends, our co-workers, people we've been praying for for years, Lord. We pray that uh, this would be the time, this would be the season that they would repent and know the forgiveness and eternal life that You offer. We pray that You turn our country, our leaders, our uh, academic institutions, our government institutions, Lord, there would be repentance all across this country. Lord, we know that there is so much sin and idolatry and immorality and bondage in our nation, Lord. We pray that You turn our leaders and and uh, people from all walks of life, from darkness to your glorious light. We pray for the nation of Honduras, Lord. We pray there would be a revival in that uh, nation as well, that uh, both here and there you'd awaken the church, but Lord you would bring many thousands, even millions of lost into the kingdom of Jesus. And Lord we pray that uh, you would be with our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. Pray your hand of deliverance upon them, your peace, your rest, Uh, Reunite them with families, and Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying with us this morning. Privileged to go before our Lord. And again, I'm glad to be back. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. As you turn to Acts chapter 8, just a reminder, so Dr. Russ mentioned that uh, Matt Wilder will be here next week. How many of you remember seeing Matt last year? So some of you saw him. if you didn't see Matt, Matt lives in Orlando. Uh, originally, he was from Utah. Uh, he was on a full scholarship. He is a concert, classically trained concert pianist, incredibly talented. so much that Brigham Young University gave him a full scholarship for concert. Brigham Young is known, I know it's a Mormon institution, and so say yes, he used to be in the Mormon Church. He was a Mormon missionary. Uh, he got saved. <clears throat> but Brigham Young University is a phenomenal institution as far as education, they're fantastic about many different subject matter areas. But music, they have one of the best music schools in the world. And you've probably heard of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and things like that. So their music is, is, is outstanding. And that's where he had a full ride to play piano but while he was there in a music class at Brigham Young he heard a hymn. And the hymn made him start to think about what is the Bible And he started to get into the Bible he ends up getting saved and leaves Brigham Young, leaves his full ride scholarship, leaves the Mormon Church and becomes. He formerly was a missionary uh, in Europe. He spoke Dutch. He was a missionary to the Netherlands, I want to say, and um, but today he's been following the Lord and part of Adam's robe. But now he does this thing where he goes out and just does piano. But he's memorized entire sections of the New Testament. So when he go he plays piano, he'll be quoting scripture. But then he'll do like these mini messages. Invite a friend. Someone that say, I don't want to listen to your pastor. But they might listen to Matt. So <laughs> that you will be blessed. Uh, his, the piano alone will soothe your soul and cause your hair to stand on end at times. But then when he incorporates it with the scriptures, it's just a force multiplier. So I think that you'll be blessed. And so we, we, we're glad to have him back. And he's a good friend. He's really one of the more talented people I've ever met in my life. He also, he's 40 years old. And runs five and a half minute miles for 26 straight, point, 26.2 miles. He's a marathon runner, runs in 10Ks, 5Ks, half marathon, and he's running five, I think in the last marathon he runs with five minute and 26 second clip. That is Holland. <laughs> so so you're not going to catch him either. So yeah, he's, uh, he, but he's a really talented guy and he's a really humble, humble guy. And uh, he loves Jesus, loves the Lord. So you'll be blessed next Sunday. With that, Acts chapter 8, starting with where we left off. We left off with uh, Peter admonishing and warning and even rebuking quite severely Simon the sorcerer. But let's pick it up with verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south. Along the road which leads uh, de- it goes down from go- Jerusalem to Gaza, this is desert. <clears throat> so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a, great, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which, was, uh, which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom... Does the prophet say this of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you believe that? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that more than I believe anything else on earth. Even more than I believe I love my wife. And I know I love my wife. But I believe this even more. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let's pray again. Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for each and every person that is here, those that are watching online, those that are maybe joining from the highway, listening in. We thank you for this time in your Word. We thank you that your Word, Lord, is better than the food we had on Thanksgiving. Lord, that it feeds our soul, that it Lord, it divides our thoughts. Lord, it corrects our thinking. It comforts us. It gives us courage. Lord, it conforms us to the image of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we would come, Lord, with hearts that are open, ears that are open, and Lord, that we would be not just hearers but doers of that which you teach and instruct us this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit to minister in a mighty way. I ask for your anointing, your help, your strength, for I could never do this without You and Your Spirit upon me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Going back, just a little bit of review. Philip had fled the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, and he had come to the city of Samaria, which we know is northwest of Jerusalem, where he preached Christ and he preached the gospel to them. And by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit he healed many who were sick and lame, and he cast out demons from people that were controlled by evil spirits. Virtually the entire city had been touched in some way by the Spirit of God. Many had been made whole and delivered from diseases and delivered from demonic possession, which I believe there's a lot more in our world today than we seem to understand. But more importantly, many souls had been saved. They've been brought into the eternal family of God. People that don't have a family get one when they get saved. A family made up of Jews, as Philip himself was a Jew. Where the Samaritans thought they could never have a relationship with the Jewish people because they were completely separated from one another. But they now had a relationship with Philip and other Jewish believers, as well as Gentiles like themselves, and maybe... and. There's Gentiles they would never meet, but they were all now in the same family of God. There's Gentiles and Jewish people that are born again around the world that I will not meet until I get to heaven, but we're all in the same family now. Prior to Philip's arrival, it appears that the entire city, from the text that we read two weeks ago, was beholden to a man named Simon the Sorcerer, and he could actually do certain magic tricks and things of that nature, and they were following the city itself of Samaria. They were following satanic rituals of false religion and sorcery. Sorcery by way of reminder, things of, like witchcraft, divination, and drug use which is very common in occultic practices around the world. But now we see a city that's been gloriously uh, turned from sorcery to the Savior. From witchcraft to the worship of God. From evil spirits to the inward dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Those are huge changes. And to consecrate all that God had done, the Lord sent Peter and John, Peter and John, two of the apostles from Jerusalem who come down in elevation to the Samaritans to welcome them into the family of God. They were ostracized from the Jewish people, these two Jewish apostles that are been with Jesus for three years, come down and they welcomed them into the family of God. And then they laid hands on them, if you recall. They laid hands on them and it says the Spirit of God fell upon the people that they laid hands on, immersing them in the power of the Holy Spirit in much the same way that the Lord had moved in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So they had a similar experience, not exact, but something like that. Now we know that after the Lord had poured out His Spirit there on the day of Pentecost, going back to uh, chapter 2, when the Lord had poured out His Spirit at Pentecost what happened next? Next was this diligent work of discipleship which goes on until Jesus returns, right? I'm doing it now, (coughs) all of us should be doing it. The apostles there in chapter 2, they begin helping the new Spirit-filled believers grow in their faith and in their walk. With Jesus, what did they do? They begin to meet daily. They begin studying the word and Bible studies in groups, spending time in prayer, fellowshipping from house to house, sharing meals together, taking the Lord's Supper together, which is remembering Jesus' death. And it would seem, so that was happening in Jerusalem, that happened from Pentecost, at least it was happening until they started throwing. Were believers in prison when Saul begins to wreak havoc on the church and they would continue to do these things. They had to be a little more kind of underground like we see churches around the world. But it would seem, and now Philip's down in Samaria, it would seem that Philip would be the perfect candidate to continue the work of discipleship in this transformed city of Samaria. After all, he comes there, he preaches, Many people get saved, he cast out demons, people get healed. But then with the coming of Peter and John, so he does that work, and there's all these people that get saved, and their lives are changed. With the coming of Peter and John who come down and the laying on of hands, even though it would appear that Philip would be the guy, he'd be the perfect guy to be the pastor of the church of Samaria to lead the lead the work and lead the flock that's there, God has other plans not going to be Philip. But we can be assured that through the laying on of hands of Peter and John coming down that God already had shepherds raised up or was bringing them in from somewhere else. Either way God was going to not, He's never going to abandon His own. Amen. He was They were going to have uh, uh, shepherds there for the city of Samaria and this young in the faith sheep there in Samaria were going to be taken care of but it turns out it wasn't going to be Philip. His job was to get the whole thing started, but not to stay. I actually took over, uh, there was a a brother that planted this church way back when, and I took it over. It it was not his job to stay, but it was my job to come in and and take it over and and just take it from there. I I didn't start it, but got to keep working at it. And so I believe the Lord definitely had people raised up. We don't know who they are. You'll meet them in heaven, who the under-shepherds were that took over the work. But with Philip, just as God had sent him to a city, he was now directing him to a single soul. First God sent him to a city, but now God's going to direct him to one single soul. We just read about this Ethiopian eunuch. From a multitude that was ready to grow to one man and a chariot, simply wanting to know what he could not understand, what he did not understand. I know, don't you want God to send you to people that are ready yeah. to learn what it is that they don't understand? And as God had, had seen and had compassion on the many Samaritans, now we see God has the compassion on the one, this one Ethiopian man that no one in the world was thinking about but God was thinking about. If you're taking notes this morning you see the title, God's Heart for the One and for the World. Back to verse 26, uh, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. We've seen how the Spirit of God worked through Philip. And so it's such a supernatural way there in Samaria. I mean, uh, it's not many of us that will ever, I, I would guess none of us in this room, are ever going to heal a bunch of people, cast out all kinds of demons, And just uh, empty hospitals. But he had seen that kind of work. And it's now another supernatural moment in Philip's life where an angel comes down from heaven and directs him to leave this city of flourishing believers. God sends one of his messengers to speak directly to him. Now Philip, you would all agree, was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. It tells us about that tells us back in Acts chapter six, it, he, they were men, the seven that were chosen were men filled with the Holy Spirit. Philip is a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Lord. and yet God chooses at this moment to send an angel from heaven to speak to him, even though he already had the Holy Spirit, he sends an angel if Philip had any question in his mind. I'm sure you've all had these moments where you said, Lord, how long do you want me to do this? How long do you want me to stay here? How long do you want me to minister in this capacity? Whatever it may be. How long do you want me to serve in the toddler's ministry? I can't take it anymore. Whatever it is. Uh, Hopefully you're not saying that. But anyway, that could be said. But if Philip had any question of how long he was supposed to stay in Samaria, on this day, he got a really clear answer. Angel from (laughs) heaven, Go to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Isn't it great when God gives you crystal clear yeah. direction? Yeah. You ever been praying for something and you can't get a clear answer on something? Yeah. And you're back and forth, and you find verses that support both things that you're that you're trying to, and but but all of a sudden, there you get a clarity from different things. God will give me different ways that He speaks to me. And you'll get a very clear answer. And He this is obviously a very clear answer. And the angel tells him to rise and to go and to head south on this road that's in the desert that leads from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Now, two brief notes. I want to park here for just a second. Two brief things to note here. Um, Number one, us in this room, us in this time in church history, we are likely never going to have an angel come and give us instructions for life or what we're supposed to do this coming Wednesday, or by Christmas, or the New Year. I'm not saying God could not send you an angel. God is not limited in any way. God can do whatever He wants to do. But it's the apostolic time period, and today are two different dispensations of time. It's not likely that God is going to send an angel to direct you. Why? Because you have the finished Word of God in your hands, which is a lamp under your feet and a light To your path, so we have the Word of God. You actually have God's will for your life in His Word, and that directs our set. And then you've been given the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Now, granted, Philip had that too. The Word of God wasn't completed yet; they hadn't even written most of the New Testament, the Epistles. None of that was done yet. But it's unlikely that uh, you are going to have an angel directing you. You have angels watching over you, but you do not see them. God has them. Involved in our life, but we have the word of God. We have the Spirit living in us. But if you're able-bodied and you still have your mind, and I'm sure some of you say, Do I still have my mind or not? I'm not quite sure. But if you're able bodied and you still have your mind, I can safely say, based on the word of God, the Lord has already called all of us in here to arise and go. Not necessarily to a road in the desert not necessarily to inner city Chicago, not necessarily to a foreign mission field, although God may be calling some of you to some of those things, but he's called all of us, wherever we're at, to be a witness, to go and be a blessing to other people, to go and give our time in serving the Lord and serving other people. I'm I'm so blessed when I see how many of you serve uh, here, and he's called all of us to serve in some kind of ministry capacity, not just necessarily a church, but there's lots of different ways to serve in the ministry of the Lord, whether it's in this church or outside. Maybe he's calling some of you to have the time to go visit people in the hospital. To go to someone who's housebound. We have people in this church that are housebound that would love to have you visit them. Maybe it's on a short-term mission trip which we'll be having some in 2024. Maybe serving at one of our Local outreach, we just had the prayer outreach and the uh, street ministry that we have, uh, guys going out sharing the gospel. Uh, we had the group that just went uh, to serve at the food bank. Maybe it's just to arise and go invite someone to church. Maybe it's to arise and get on your laptop or on your phone and send an invite to somebody. You've got to take a step in these areas, but especially during this upcoming season there's a lot of people that are more willing to you can invite them to like Matt Wilder or to a Christmas Eve service. By the way, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year. Our Christmas Eve service will be 1 11 a.m. service that Sunday morning. We still have our Christmas program thing on Friday night the 22nd, but that's the, these are things arise and invite, arise and go, arise and serve, all of these things. We have the great commission from Jesus to go and make disciples. Got to be a disciple to make a disciple. We have the commission from to wash each other's feet. Not literally, don't try that with anybody without asking, but, uh, but not that most of you want to touch other people's feet. But, uh, but metaphorically, we are to wash each other's feet, uh, to serve, uh, to do the things that are not easy. We've got to get down at dirt level. It takes some effort. It takes some humbling ourselves. But here's the thing. Nobody's called to nothing. Nobody's called to nothing. If you grew up on a farm family in the Midwest in the 1800s, all 12 kids had to work. Everybody had to arise with the sun with the rooster did whatever they do. Everybody has to get up <laughs> and do their part. So, and even if somebody is bound uh, physically, like you know, I've talked about before, I, I love the story that Deal Moody earnestly believe that this young bedbound, paralyzed girl prayed him over the Atlantic. And when she saw him, she says, that's the man I was praying for. They'd never met before, and they were convinced that she prayed him over, and he was convinced that she was used by God to bring him there, and he preached, and many thousands and thousands of people all over the British Isles came to know the Lord. So even if you're bedbound, you can arise in your spirit, let me say, and do something for the Lord. The second thing to take note of here, so number one, most of us aren't, we're not going to get an angel to tell us, but God's already told us to arise and go. We, we have this commission. We have this call from the Lord. But the second thing is, take note here: is there's no coincidences with God. There's no things that are just by chance. It's not by chance. It's just interesting timing. We just read the words from Jerusalem to Gaza. Have you heard either of these places in the news lately? <laughs> Jerusalem or Gaza. Have those two words Entered your ears, or have you seen them on your phone? Have you seen Gaza or Jerusalem in the news at all? Of course, you have. Here we are 2,000 years later, and Jerusalem and Gaza are still being written about, not in the scriptures. The scripture, the canon is complete. We have Genesis through Revelation is done, but Jerusalem and Gaza are being written about right now, even this morning, in articles and monologues for media people to speak on a live television broadcast, and speeches for government officials. Jerusalem and Gaza are front page news just as you're seeing they were very prevalent in Acts chapter 8. But here's the thing. God is still reaching out to Jerusalem, and God is still reaching out to Gaza. And ways that you and I can't reach Jerusalem or Gaza And he's reaching out to all the places in between Jerusalem and Gaza. And he's reaching out to all the places around the world that are not in Jerusalem or Gaza. All over the world. My point is that God has been working in that little part of the world for thousands of years. And he's not done yet. There's some major things still to happen in that part of the world. But all of it is to turn the whole world's eyes, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, just like the Samaritan, to turn them all to Jesus. Now people can still reject but they will have heard the message. Back to Philip and his new ministry orders in verse 27. So he's told where to go. The angel says, get up, go to the south, head to this road, which he would have known where the road was from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Verse 27, so he arose and went. And Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge over all her treasury and had come up to Jerusalem to worship. And then it says in verse 8, was returning. We'll stop right there. So Philip arose and went. The angel said, go. Philip arises and does exactly that. No questions. No complaints. No, why am I going south? Why now? Did you, did you know it's a desert? No hesitation. No giving the angel any suggestions. Now Philip just obeys without any idea why he's being sent there, any idea of what God is doing, why he's changed his course from Samaria to headed to a desert, which causes us to maybe ask ourselves, are you and I okay with God changing your plans? Are we okay with God changing our plans? Are we okay with him abruptly redirecting a day we had planned. you ever have a day that does not go quite like you had mapped it out. And you even know that God, when you start to think about it after you're like, I know there's no accents, God is totally altering my day. and sometimes your week, sometimes your year, he will alter. Are you okay with that? I personally have more growing to do in this. How about you? Like I, I sometimes. I don't immediately recognize it's the hand of God. I think it's some other normal circumstance. And I'm like, hold on. If God has control of the universe, this is not by chance either. But it's all about us being fully yielded and trusting the Lord. Really trusting God as opposed to trusting ourselves. Pastor Chuck Smith, you guys know, most of you know, Pastor Chuck was the very first Calvary Chapel pastor uh, Jesus movement, early 70s, founded Cal- Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Started to, First he didn't like the hippies, then he realized they needed Jesus too, and then he started reaching out to them. But he said in his commentary, and I'll put it up on the screen, he has a commentary on the book of Acts, uh, Acts such a pivotal chapter, or such a pivotal book. He said, "...the angel's instructions to Philip seems illogical. Why would God want Philip to leave a great evangelistic outreach in Samaria to go to a desert area?" On the surface it doesn't make sense. I'm sure if I had been in Philip's place I would have challenged the angel. You can just hear Chuck's voice. I would have pointed out how many people were being transformed there and how they were coming to Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, don't you know what's happening here? Why would you have me leave here? I'm the perfect guy to leave. I, you know, they, they like me. They, they've, they're actually growing. People are getting saved. Bible studies are being formed. Now obviously God And the messenger he sent, this angel, the angel knew all this because God knew all this. God did all that. Everything that had actually blossomed and flourishing in Samaria was because of the Lord. Philip was merely a vessel. Are you okay knowing you're just a vessel? There is no one special in this room. I know that in our American society, we have to tell everyone, you're incredible, you're so gifted, your your Instagram profile is not even half as good as you are. (laughs) it's all a bunch of fake stuff. All we are is vessels. We're just dust and ashes, right? We're just vessels. Philip really understood this. I, I, I love his character. He really understood this. First in Jerusalem, he was a vessel, raised up as one of those seven deacons. And he was used in such a mighty way along with Stephen. Stephen, of course, his close brother dies, this martyr's death. First he was used in Jerusalem. Then God sends him to Samaria. And he goes to the Samaritan people, a Jewish brother that has no problem strolling in there and saying, I welcome you, and he preached Jesus, then he's used in Samaria. And now he's seemingly being sent to an empty desert home of scorpions and snakes and rocks and dust. But we can see why Philip is used. We, can learn, we all can learn a lot from Philip. We can see why Philip is used. His simple trust in God, his surrender, his availability. You guys know the best ability is an availability. Amen. Any of you in sports, you know that if your quarterback's not available, it doesn't matter how skilled he is. Sit on the sidelines and crutches... Is not available, but he had an availability. He was available to the Lord. And and if you're in this room, God doesn't need any talent from you, all he wants is availability. Why this is He's such an example to all of us as believers. He simply Philip just goes wherever God sends him. Jerusalem, I'm there. Samaria, there. Desert, there. When I meet people that will do whatever God says and don't have any questions, they are such a blessing. And he just trusts God to do what only God can do. Now as Philip gets to this road that connects from Jerusalem to Gaza he sees this Ethiopian man starting in verse 28. Uh, He sees him there. He was returning and he's sitting in his chariot. He's reading uh, Isaiah the prophet. He sees this Ethiopian man. He's a man who's a ruler Under the kingdom of Ethiopia, no doubt the man is not alone. God's sending Philip for this one man, but this one man is probably not alone. Because he's a ruler of a large kingdom, obviously he is not the monarch of the kingdom, but he works directly for the monarch. So he would have likely had an entourage of his own servants, other people that are administrative officials that were with him, traveling with him. Luke tells us, Luke's the author of the book of Acts, Luke tells us that he served under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and that he was her treasurer. Now anyone you put your money with, you trust, Right, right. right? I said before, there are people that I would give the keys to my house, and some of you in this room, I would give the keys to my house and know that I would be safe. There are some people in this world I wouldn't give my keys if they were the last person on earth, right? You just can't trust them. But there's other people you can trust implicitly. And so he had the treasury, he had full trust. Or she had her full trust in him. And uh, and it tells us that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He'd gone to the temple. Uh, By the way, I I shared on this same text back in January, you may or may not remember. I shared on this text, it was a baptism Sunday, I shared this same text text, it was called The Word, the Water, and the Witness. And we looked at the same text back in January, I think it was the 23rd of January uh, where I covered more of the background of the Ethiopian kingdom, more of the background of the eunuch and things of that, other details that I don't have time to delve into today. But, but eunuchs, obviously if someone is a eunuch they cannot produce children. There's no capacity, they cannot have kids. Uh, sometimes they were forced to be eunuchs, sometimes eunuchs were born with the inability, so they would they would not be able to produce children. Uh, there was entire sects of religious orders in different parts of the world that have made themselves eunuchs. And so, once you had a eunuch, you have to worry. There was a lot of different reasons. Hey, they can be trusted. They're not actually looking to build a family, They can be totally devoted to the service of the kingdom. But scholars and historians. So that's a little bit about the Ethiopian eunuch himself. We don't know uh, why or Uh, what means he became a eunuch. Uh, But again, he was never going to have children. In many cases that meant single life, totally dedicated to the administrative affairs of the kingdom. But many scholars and historians uh, are in general agreement that Candace was not a proper name, but rather a title. Uh, It was a title of a dynasty of queens, most of which they served alongside the king. So the king would be the monarch with his queen, Uh, sitting beside, but some of the queens ended up ruling independently if the king had died. If the king died, much like in England when Queen Elizabeth took over, actually ruled the longest period of time of any English monarch, she was the monarch at that time because the king. if the king dies then whoever is next in line. But Candace was more of a title such as emperor, such as president, right? So you get more of a title uh, of the name here. The, the line of all the queens, and some of them served independently, and again, some of them served alongside the king of the Ethiopians. But Eunuch, uh, this Ethian eunuch, eunuch, him being uh, the treasurer of the Ethiopian kingdom, the kingdom was also known as the Kingdom of Cush. You might sometimes see that if you look at some ancient maps and things, the Kingdom of Cush. But he had a massive responsibility. Uh, the kingdom was to the south of Egypt. I put the map up on the, uh, up on the screen there. The kingdom was to the south of Egypt. It was a very large, very, very large kingdom. Africa is a massive continent. You don't really get a... Most Americans have no reference point. You could actually throw the United States and Canada on there. You can throw China on there. You can throw all kinds of other countries, and there's still plenty of room left in Africa. It's just a massive, massive continent. Uh, You get a better idea if you look at it on a globe as opposed to maps because maps actually make Greenland look like it's massive and it's not that big and all that, so it kind of pushes out. Um, I love maps, so anyway, I'll stop there. But anyway, um, (laughs) but it was to the south of Egypt. It was a very large kingdom. It was rich in gold. It was rich in other resources. They traded with other empires that day. Obviously, the Roman Empire was the ruling empire of Europe, and, uh, or at least the Mediterranean part of Europe, all around the Mediterranean and the Middle East at that time. But the kingdom of Ethiopia was still a large and powerful kingdom in its own right to the south of Egypt there. And as I mentioned, back in January, if you go back and that one's archived out on our YouTube site, the capital of this ancient empire uh, was actually in modern day Sudan because Ethiopia and Sudan are side by side. But at one time that was all one big area. It's kind of like West Virginia used to be part of Virginia, but now it's not. So anyway, so uh, it used to be all one big state, now West Virginia is it, and so Ethiopia and Sudan used to be uh, together, Uh, but to go from Moreau, which is in Sudan today, up to Jerusalem is about 1,600 miles. That's roughly the same as taking your chariot from here to Denver. It's a long ways to go on a chariot. If you think that your back hurts uh, on a car ride, like for us, for 12 hours to Florida, Try riding in a chariot all the way to Denver. Um, that is a long, long trip, even by chariot. Obviously, that was the, that was the, the premium modes of, of transportation at that time. And by the way, you could only take a chariot. It was pretty cool. We kind of look at, sometimes we look at the ancient societies like that they were so much less advanced. But they, they had highway systems. You can't take chariots just on anything. They, they're on wheels. so. You have to have 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 roads. Remember the term all roads lead to Rome? Rome had built this massive network of roads that went all over the Mediterranean. But also there was roads in Africa as well that came up from either uh, the kingdom of Ethiopia through Egypt, and they had roads that led into the Roman Empire. And of course the Roman Empire was comprised of the northern part of Egypt, Alexandria, Cleopatra, all that that goes back to the Roman Empire. So they had these roads, and he could take a chariot from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem, 16, 1,578 miles I think is the exact. Uh, now we don't know, but this eunuch was likely very attracted to the Hebrew Scriptures and to the God of the Hebrews in much the same way and the same reasons that many Greeks and Romans, not percentage-wise but numerically, percentage-wise a small number of Greeks and Romans said, hey, we want to serve the God of the Israelites. But numerically, quite a few. Does that make sense? Like, uh, even if they're in, in America, I think like one or 2% of the country is Jewish, for example, right? That's a small number percentage wise but it's a large number numerically. So, quite a few people, and so the Ethiopian eunuch, much like some Greeks and Romans, decided: you know what? We've had it with the sexual immorality, we've had it with worshiping a million gods. This Jewish God, this Hebrew God, looks like a better way to go and it looks like a more stable society and many they became what we term proselytes to the Jewish faith. But that didn't mean they were born again because that comes through Jesus. But nevertheless he was attracted, uh, as best we can tell he was attracted to the Jewish faith uh, and perhaps forsook a foreign religion or a former religion to follow the law of Moses. And if you're going to follow the law of Moses one of the things that people had a real desire to do was at least once Take a pilgrimage, even if they weren't Jewish, but they had decided, I'm going to serve the Hebrew God. I'm going to get immersed in the Hebrew scriptures, which is the Tanakh, which is Genesis through Malachi. And I want to make a pilgrimage at least once in my lifetime to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where the temple was, one of the ancient wonders of the world, where God supposedly inhabited the temple. And they believed that if God was there, that to go at least once in their lifetime, even if they weren't Jewish, but they had become a follower of the Hebrew God, to go to Jerusalem. And this is what this man had done. He had made this long trek up to Jerusalem to worship. Now as a Gentile, because he's not Jewish, the Ethiopian eunuch is not Jewish, he's a Gentile, when he or any other Gentile, didn't matter if it was a Greek Gentile or a Libyan Gentile or a Saudi Arabian Gentile, any Gentile that came into the temple, the temple, even though Rome ran that part of the world, they gave the high priest Caiaphas and the religious rulers... Full authority to run the temple as they desired, <coughs> including their own police force. So when you came to the temple, if you were a Gentile, you could only go so far. They could not worship any farther than the court of the Gentiles. I put it up on the screen. So they had to stay in this outer part, the Ethiopian eunuch. Now in his country, he's a high-ranking official. He can go all the way to the queen. But when it came to the temple, he is second-class citizen. He had to stay out here, whereas the Jewish, men, the Jewish women could come in here and the Jewish men could go one step further into the court. Uh, but that's as far as he could go. He had limitations of how far he could go. Any further it was under penalty of death. If a Gentile was caught going into, they could be arrested by the temple priest and put to death and Rome would totally, that's your, they violated your religious space and uh, that would be fine as far as Rome was concerned. Now, not only was his access limited, here's the thing, little did the Ethiopian man know the law was limited. Because what he knew was the law. What he, what he had come to know was, hey, this was the God of Moses, this was the God of the Hebrews, this was the God of the Israelites. But the law was what any proselyte would begin to follow. they begin to follow the dietary things, hey, I'm going to eat kosher, I'm going to make sure our kids are circumcised, we're going to worship on the Sabbath, all these different things. But here's the thing, the law can't save you. But it can point you. God had not drawn the Ethiopian ruler to the temple. He was drawing him to the one who resides in the temple. The Spirit of the living God, the one who's in the Holy of Holies. And it's clear that his desire to know God, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, it's clear he does want to know the living God because he knows something of the Hebrew God, but it's increased his desire to know God once he got to Jerusalem. And, uh, and I told this in the first service you know, I've been to Israel twice. We, we have a third trip planned in February, which is in grave jeopardy right now of not happening, but uh, we'll find that out for sure in the next 10 to 12 days. But more than likely, even if we didn't go this next one, we plan to go the following year. But if you get a chance to go to Israel, you don't have to go to Israel in this lifetime because you're going to get, if you're saved, you're going to get to spend a lot of time there in the future. So uh, Jesus is going to return there, His throne is going to go there, you're going to get to go there. It's going to be even way better than, than it is now uh, in, many re- in every respect. But nevertheless, if you ever get a chance to go, uh, it will increase your desire of certain things because just certain things come alive in the Scriptures that you Oh, that's where that is. And that, wow, I didn't realize the connection of these things. And so it's very, it does have a huge impact. And so he goes there and he has a scroll that he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Now, whether he had the scroll already and took the scroll to there, I don't think that's the case. Just like people today, anyone that goes to Israel wants to buy things from there. Uh, They want to bring olive oil that's really from there. They want to bring, you know, something that's made there. And it's my belief, but I don't know for sure. I believe he probably acquired the scroll while he's there. Even if he had already been reading, I believe he already had been reading the Scriptures, at any rate there's nothing like getting a scroll that was written by the Hebrew priest, and it, they, he had the money too by the way. When you have the money you can go to places on 5th Avenue that other people can't go. So you can go to the nicest place in Jerusalem and buy a brand new scroll with gold uh, you know, knobs on the end and all that stuff. He could buy uh, a scroll that was handwritten because they were so meticulously done. They were extremely expensive, the materials, the time and labor, so it's very expensive to buy one. Uh, Whether he had it or not or he added to his collection we don't know. But as he's returning he begins reading, and we don't know if he just turns to Isaiah, if that's the one he bought was the whole, obviously Jesus spoke plenty from Isaiah, but here he's reading from Isaiah 53, we'll get to that in a second. But the Spirit, in verse 29, the Spirit tells Philip to go near and over. This is the second time the Spirit tells him to go. He said, arise and go. And now he says, go and overtake. And by the way, when God tells you to go, he's going to let you go further than you might think you can go. And the Spirit tells him to go and overtake the chariot. Now if it happens to be that this chariot is rolling at full speed, then Philip is about to become, at least for a few seconds, the fastest man on earth. And, uh, and he would be like Usain Bolt, but only faster uh, if he's out running horses. But we don't know if the chariot's moving slow. We don't know if it's a, at a, almost a stop or if it's, I believe it actually was moving right along. And Philip doesn't really even need it to stop. He's already been carried by an angel or told by an He's about to be carried by an angel. He was first told by an angel. Now the angel tells him to go. Uh, Philip could just walk on air steps right on up into the uh, chariot. So I don't think there's any limitations here. God's doing an amazing supernatural work all the way around. In verse 30 is when he uh, obviously he hears him reading from the book of Isaiah in the previous verses. In verse 30 so Philip runs to him, hears him reading the prophet Isaiah, very common in ancient time, to read aloud. Which is actually, which is actually really good for your mind to read aloud sometimes. So I wouldn't do it at, uh, anywhere, just Starbucks is not a great place to read aloud. But, but uh, at your own house you certainly can. And he asked him, do you understand what you are reading. And he gives a very honest answer. I wish most people, when I ask them, do you understand things about the Bible? It would be great if you get this answer more often. But he says, how can I unless someone guides me? Had a humble heart too. I mean this is a very learned man. Uh, probably spoke multiple languages. Very well educated. Ran the treasury for one of the largest kingdoms in the world at that time. And he's like, I know a lot of stuff. This I don't understand. Isn't it great when you meet people that are smart and actually are willing to admit, but I don't understand the Bible. Can you help me? And I've actually seen people get saved over the years and it is a blessing when they, when they have that heart. When the heart begins to humble then God can do anything. Uh, he invites Philip in verse 31 to sit by him. God had prepared Philip for this moment to come and sit beside him in this chair. And by the way God has prepared for you and I to speak with people that we don't even know those divine appointments are coming. But I always pray for them. Sometimes when they come I'm like, this wasn't the day I expected. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, When we were down in Florida uh, me and my wife had one of these moments where we ended up spending two and a half hours talking to a couple. And it was not what we thought how the day was going to go. And uh, and actually when it started I was like, I just want to hang out with my family and not talk. You know, I I, I do a lot of talking for a living. You know, I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of engaging one on one and one to many and all this stuff. And and God's like, they need me. So for the next and afterwards, we felt awesome and you know it was great to pour in and plant seeds of the Lord. And uh, but again, the day the day went different than we expected. And and I said that at the outset that happens goes on in verse thirty two and thirty three. And Philip hears what he's reading and he's reading in verse 32 from Isaiah chapter 53 Isaiah 53 a very messianic chapter of the Bible and it says he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth in his humiliation his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth so he's reading from Isaiah 53 uh now this ruler This Ethiopian unit, when he got to Jerusalem, and especially when he was around the temple area, the magnificent temple, and just seeing all the priesthood, if he interacted and talked to some of the Jewish people there, I'm sure he heard plenty about the law. We follow the law of Moses. We follow the law of Moses. The law of Moses. The law says this. The law says that. He probably heard plenty about the law. But guess what? He didn't hear about the Lamb. Because the law shows us we need a lamb. But he heard about the law in Jerusalem, but he didn't hear about the lamb. And why did he not hear about the lamb? Specifically, the lamb of God. John the Baptist said, behold, lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The reason he didn't hear about the lamb, why? Because the high priest had rejected the lamb. The priesthood had rejected the lamb. The Sanhedrin had rejected the lamb. Most of the people in Israel that had not come to faith had rejected the lamb. So he didn't hear about the lamb when we were in Israel the very first time, Dr. Russ went on that trip and Dr. Russ and I had this lengthy conversation with a young Orthodox Jewish couple from Brooklyn, New York. The, the, the guy like 25, all in black, him and his wife were on pilgrimage to come there and it was near Passover season, they were coming there. It, the, the, the man grew up in New York City and could not speak English, he could only speak Hebrew. Could not speak a word of English. Grew up his entire life in Brooklyn, New York, could not speak any English. His wife had broken English, but we talked to them about Isaiah 53, and they told us their priest, their rabbi had forbidden them to read Isaiah 53, that only the rabbi could interpret Isaiah 53. We said, well, you think there's a reason why God would put it in there and not want you to read it? Obviously it portrays Jesus. It's it's pointing uh, but if you rejected the Lamb then you don't talk about the Lamb. So the law it gets talked about but the Lamb. And at this time also remember in Jerusalem many of the church had been thrown into jails and thrown into prisons so there was less of the church to even talk to him about the true and living Savior. I mean he was hearing about God for sure but, but not the Son of God. Nevertheless, God still speaks when we're silent. Amen? God still speaks when everything is silent. And the Lord was speaking, and no matter what, He was speaking even if the rulers were silent, even if they had tried to silence the church. The Spirit was moving on this one man's heart who was truly seeking to know God. And this is really a, a, a comfort I have, especially when I have people say, well, what about the people that will never hear the gospel? If someone desires to know God, God will send someone to them. If someone desires to know I believe God will always send. And they'll hear the gospel. Verse 34, so the eunuch, uh, so he's um, reading this, so uh, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, whom does the prophet say of this? Is it of himself or some other man? The eunuch is asking Philip, is this prophet speaking about himself? Or is this another person I should understand? All, the other thing that's really cool is the Ethiopian eunuch fully understood the metaphor that the lamb was actually a man. He wasn't playing mind games or word games. You ever people, they try and slice and dice the Bible and say, well it says this? I'm like, let's understand. Do you not know what a metaphor is? There are times the Bible is being 100% literal and there's times it's giving a picture of something. It says, he was led as a lamb. It's pretty clear that he is a person and the lamb is a picture, right? He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. So he fully understood that the lamb was actually a man. But he's like, who is this man? You have to wonder by this time if Philip's not thinking to himself, okay, now I see why God sent me here. (laughs) You don't get these softballs served up to you too often in in life. Uh, Many witnessing opportunities I've had, I don't often have people say, hey, I'm reading in Isaiah 53. I don't know what it means. Can you help explain it to me? I'm like, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Normally it's, I'm knocking on a door that's locked with 12 chains on the door and no one wants, I don't want to hear about your Bible or your God or your Jesus, but here he's a ready, open, sponge. saying, I'm reading Isaiah 53, who is it about? Philip's like, this is going to be the easiest. I can close my eyes and hit this one. you know. So he's basically got it teed up. He begins to tell him who this is about. Obviously, it's about Jesus and the thing to also understand here is that here he is, this one man. God sent Philip for one soul. He's obviously reached a whole bunch of people in Samaria, but in Matthew 18, 20, you know Jesus leaves the 99 yeah. for the one. Yeah. He cares about the one. He's speaking of the one. Do we see the ones around us? And do we care, do we care enough to reach out to the ones around us? G.P. Howard said, we face a humanity that is too precious to neglect. We know a remedy for the ills of the world too wonderful to withhold. We have a crisis is to too glorious to hide and sometimes we are hiding and we shouldn't be hiding. We should be presenting. We should be reaching. We should be going. In verse 35 we see Philip um, it's teed up. Isaiah 53, perfect place. Then Philip opens his mouth and beginning at that scripture he's like, let's stay in Isaiah 53 for just a second. And he preached Jesus, because Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus. It just doesn't have His name. But it does have one of His names. Lamb is one of His names. The Lamb of God. So the Lamb led to the slaughter is the Lamb of God, the same one that John pointed to. He begins to state, uh, take it from that passage. That's his launching point in explaining the life and the redemption found in Jesus. Now if you go further in Isaiah 53, and I put it up on the screen, Go down to verse 11, because what he quoted from is up earlier in the chapter. But if you go down to verse 11, the whole chapter is powerful and messianic. But you get to verse 11, it explains what the Lamb is going to do. Look at what it says. He, that being Jesus, he, the Lamb of God, shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is the whole reason the Lamb came, was to bear the iniquities of mankind, to give His life a ransom for theirs. So this He could then say, hey, let's read further. Now I'll explain what the Lamb has done already for me and for Peter, for John, for the other apostles, for all the people in Samaria that just got saved. He has saved us from our sins, our iniquities. That's what the name Jesus means. He shall save His people from their sins. Verse 36 and 38 bringing this to a close, Now as they went down the road they saw some water and the eunuch said see here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Obviously Peter had not only just preached Jesus, he had gotten all the way to the end of the Great Commission baptizing them. He had told them about baptism and he he learned a lot in a short period of time. And he he immediately understood, I need to be baptized. And he says what hinders me in verse 37 Peter says, if you believe with all your heart. Now understand baptism always follows first believing in Jesus. Don't get baptized until you believe in Jesus. Uh, baptism doesn't save you, baptism is something that the saved desire to do. Uh, the thief on the cross didn't get a chance to be baptized, he still was saved. People that called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, 9-11 towers and they never got to be baptized, were still saved. Baptism is not the means of our salvation, it is a mark of our salvation. But it's not the means of our salvation. If you're saved you will want to be baptized. If you're not saved If you are saved, no one should have to browbeat you into getting baptized. You should desire it. He immediately saw the water. good student says, you said something about baptism. I believe in Jesus. And then Peter just, uh, or uh, Philip confirms with him, if you believe. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he he has put his trust in the Lord. Verse 38 and 39 and 40 to close it out. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. They go down into the water and he baptized him. Now when the Uh, They came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Now Philip, this time the angel doesn't say anything. He just, (laughs) he's caught away. This is a picture of the rapture of the church. It's the same harpazo. It's the same catching away, but it's just a precursor because he doesn't go up to meet Jesus in the cloud. He's picked up, moved over better than the Concord back in the day when it flew from New York to Paris in three and a half hours uh, and deposited in and then he's passing through the cities, he got a free ride, better than the chariot, a free ride in the clouds over to another city, and he begins preaching because Philip was not just called to the one, he was called to the world. He's called to the one, but he's also called to the world, and he continues to preach in these other places. Let's close in prayer. Uh, As our heads are bowed, and I don't want to, if there's anyone in this room, I just want to give the opportunity If there's anyone in this room that's never put their faith in Jesus uh, you've never really had your sins covered by his precious sinless blood. He came and he died as this Ethiopian eunuch found out what he needed wasn't the law. He needed the lamb. The law points us, the, the law shows us how imperfect we are. Paul would later write the law is our tutor bringing us to Christ but the law cannot save us. Now once we're saved he writes the law on the tablets of your heart, and you, know, you care all of a sudden to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you you care to love your neighbor as yourself. These things God gives you after salvation. He gives you a desire for the purity of the law, but no one can keep it because it's so perfect. Only Jesus perfectly kept it. But we need the Lamb. But if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you've never. Uh, said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but not only that, I I want Him to cleanse me and to be my Lord and my Savior. If you'd like to give your life to Christ this morning, maybe online, raise your hand. I can't see if you're online, but if you're here in this room and you want to give your heart and life to Christ, say, I want to be saved. I don't want to put it off another day. The Ethiopian eunuch, as soon as he understood the gospel, he responded immediately, gave his life to the Lord, even baptized that very day. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I Not trying to talk anyone into it. It's God's job to speak to people. God's job to convict the heart. Anyone at all that say, I want to give my life to Christ. We'd love to pray with you. For all of us, we need to walk in the footsteps of Philip. Available, yielded, simple trust. Amen. stand as we close in worship.
1: Just you, Lord.
0: talk to these men, and I'll be glad to talk with you too, because we want to make sure we answer your questions about the Lord. So if you raised your hand, and I I believe somebody, I must be blind, I didn't see, but uh, without my glasses on, I can't make out. You look a lot blurrier like that. But I do this, I'm doing good. But um, we'd love to talk to you, so if you did raise your hand, we want to definitely answer any questions. Um, We can learn a lot from Philip, though. He's not perfect. He's Human being just like us. He wasn't Jesus. He wasn't perfect, but he was a man who just obeyed Jesus. Simply did whatever Jesus asked him to do, and we see the fruit of his life. Why? Did he, that's God did these miracles with him, and he, you know, when you get to heaven, he'll t- t- tell you all kind. We didn't, Luke didn't even write what happened in Azados and all those towns. We don't even know they could have had just as amazing things as Samaria, but God did a lot of things to him because he just obeyed the Lord. And I I remember reading about George Mueller. George Mueller was born in Germany, ended up speaking like five, six languages. He ended up traveling, he found all these orphanages in in England and was a pastor and ran the orphanages. But the children in the orphanages saw his faith so much that the children, one little girl was praying, she's praying out loud. She says, Lord, give me the faith of George Mueller. (laughs) Because she could see that his faith was so strong. And uh, when you see people in the Bible that God gives them examples that they're just like us, we can, you may not be a Philip in your lifetime, but you can start taking simple steps saying, Lord, I'm going to stop questioning you and just do what you've asked me to do. Amen. And then watch God do the fruit. Amen? Amen. He will. Trust Him with the results. Father, we thank You again for this time. Together this morning we pray that uh, Lord, You just use us this coming week uh, to just answer whatever You ask us to do. To go where You send us, uh, to stay in Your Word, to be people of prayer, to worship You, to give thanks, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but well after Thanksgiving Day. Uh, we pray for this coming Wednesday that You'd use it in the book of Joel. Next Sunday, Lord, You'd use our good brother Matt in a mighty way, and Lord, more people would uh, come out and to hear uh, Your Word set to music. We pray that You'd uh, just bless and use us as Your servants and Your lights and witnesses this coming week. I pray Your blessing on the people here, and may the Lord bless and keep You. The Lord make His face shine upon You, be gracious to You. The Lord lift up His counts upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.